Welcome, everybody, to another installment of Frame Rate. Uh, tonight, we're talking about a remarkable film from 2016 that was a somewhat surprise Academy Award winner, and that is Moonlight, uh, Barry Jenkins' coming-of-age drama released by A24, uh, which won the uh, Best Picture Academy Award. Uh, it's the second lowest-grossing film domestically to win that award behind only what other movie? Trivia question. Rocky. <laughs> that's a really good that's a good answer though the english patient the i don't know oh really no the, yeah the hurt locker yeah how much was no, the this hurt is locker? uh what's that how much was the hurt locker 42 dollars and nine cents <laughs> i don't know i'm not looking at rocky up. was 1.1 i looked it up before the show probably <laughs> adjusted for inflation right Domestic okay. rose. I'm, I'm confused. Anyway, I'm doing, this, I'm doing the like math, like swirling around in my head. Why are you doing your ATC shit? Uh, so yeah, so so this is an amazing film based on a play, uh, which I would love to see at some point. Um, and uh, Un- and it was oh, it has never been done. Unproduced, but hopefully they do it eventually. I had no idea. Uh, and it's only the second feature film by Barry Jenkins, and it's uh, it's a it's a movie that I missed when it was in theaters, and I saw it for the first time on an airplane, and I was just absolutely stunned by it i think i think it's such an incredible expression of uh of love of cinema and of color and light and sound and it's a great film and uh who wants to start what do you guys think of it um let's see you know i actually and this is one of the ones that it coincidentally happened to happen on a friday night i played it for my block so i had like two three different sets of neighbors kind of social distancing out in the street and i played it on the projector and you know it's like uh yeah, it's like not a super comfortable movie to play in public. There was like some kids around the street to it. There's like some very mature topics that go on. Uh, you know, it's, the movies, the film is very real um, about this man's life. And yeah, it, it's like, it's so layered and complex. I remember the first time seeing it where I was like, I have to see that again. There's so much going on with the music and the camera choices and the movement and just everything that I was like, whoa, this is a lot to take in, you know? Aside from the fact that the material is heavy, right? We're talking about like poor people and like problems with like drugs and just the, you know, intensity of life. Um, And yeah, we'll talk about it in more detail, but I really think the director and the cinematographer and of course all all the cast, but they really worked to frame the images in a way that made you connect with the person or people that they were framing, right? Like you really, it takes the time and has atmosphere in it. Um, Which is interesting because some of the, there's not even that much violence in this movie, but some of the verbal violence and the, the verbal tension that you feel for the main character uh, just like reverberates through the film. And you're kind of like, you don't feel safe or comfortable yourself as the viewer because it really pulls you into um, the main character, I think. And I think that regardless of your background and whether you grew up in Miami or whether you're black or white or mixed or whatever the case may be, I think we can all relate. I can certainly relate to like moving to this country from another country. I spoke English, but I had an accent. I didn't know how to dress. It was sixth grade. You know, I got picked on a lot in middle school here. It was hard. Um, and I think that's a common thing for a lot of kids. Obviously the reasons can be different, but I think a lot of us can relate to what it's like to, uh, be bullied or to be on the outside or to not be able to express yourself completely because of the crowd that you're in. So 
yeah, sorry, I'm being long-winded, but just really relatable topics about um, growing up. And I'll let Jamie take it from there. But um, yeah, it was a really stunning film. Yes, it was very good. Um, Atmospheric, the music really struck me right away. The music was just a really wonderful choice, typically in films that cover stories of the poor, especially the black poor, tend to be all rap and stereotypical music. And sometimes that music is appropriate because that's the music of, of that lifestyle. That's the music of that community. So it made sense. But I love that they decided we're going to pivot away from that and they're going to use a very classical score. Um, I don't know I don't know anything about that score, but it sounded like it was written for it, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe there was classical pieces mixed in. The score allowed me to view the film easier because it wasn't easy to view for me. I had to force myself to actually look at the screen. That's how uncomfortable I was throughout the whole thing. Um, and a lot of that was just because of my own ties to that community and um, to the tolerance or, or the intolerance of that community. Um, but yeah, I think overall it was brilliant. Um, and it, it sticks with you. It's It resonates in you. It's like it echoes. There's an echo chamber where you just think of not just the life of this this man who happens to be gay. That's almost the uh, not even a subplot. That's almost, it's just sort of a small thing he's going through. The larger thing is the life he's living, the life that his mother has subjected him to, the, his non-existent father, um, the bullies that he lives around, the drugs that he lives around, the poor, trying to survive in a life like that. I mean, and then all of it was like uh, a symphony. All of it was like I just felt like it was just beautifully like the conductor was just it was just this wave it was just this beautiful tidal wave of a movie um that everything was just lilting and it wasn't over the top it didn't hit you over the head with anything but it also didn't spare you either um i thought it was brilliant you know just if i can throw a quick comment in before i forget um i I had to write it down while jamie was talking um but and and not, not to skip past any of your points, Jamie. Um, I, I definitely, I, I've, I mean, I've heard from you several times how hard this movie was for you to watch. So I thought about you a lot and I was like, man, I wonder how Jamie views this scene or I wonder how this makes him feel or whatever. Um, also, especially considering the times we're in right now, which obviously this movie's from a couple of years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not really any overt or direct white and black racial interactions where like something goes down or someone's like, uh, I mean, there are, there is like an arrest in it and stuff, but it's like, what I mean is the story is really confined to this poor black community and more specifically these small, uh, families, like these small groups of people, whether they're kids or whether they're these families, his mom, etc. Um, so it's a intimate and internal story like that community certainly when you think about it, we know has other societal problems and issues and bigger things, but that's not what this movie's about. It's great that it takes time to really just be like, no, look, like this is, this is what we want to show you. Like we want to show you these real people, their characters, but they're so well-written, right. That they can be real. Um, I, and, and I think the subtlety with which they're portrayed too, I think about, um, the scene with, uh, Marshall Ali, who won an Oscar for this, 
thing. This the, the film won the Oscars. The other one was which is surprising. Scene. Actually, he was only in like what two scenes. He was barely he's in that so movie. So powerful though. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's but only that's... he's only in the first third. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, barely. Man, he's yeah. he's magnetic though. Like you can't take your eyes off him. His performance. Yeah, his performance is so powerful. And I remember the scene um, where Little asks if he's an F word talking about sexuality and Juan looks at him and immediately without hesitation is like, no, he's like, you might, you could be gay, but like, you're not a, you're not an F word, you know? And I was like, that's so cool because this could have been an interaction where you have, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to speak for the black community, but I I've always heard about that. The like macho and, pro hetero anti-gay sort of attitude of men in the black community is very similar to white communities and latino communities for that matter i guess white conservative communities but you know what i'm saying where there's like a lot of issues with acceptance and, and all of that um well i don't think it's the same as the white communities whatsoever but patrick well, I, i'd like to get into that but you were gonna what were you gonna say in terms of your reactions patrick well, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad that um, you were able to watch it, Jamie, because I, I know, and I, I knew that it was going to be difficult in, in some ways. And, and you had mentioned that too. And I was kind of like, should I even put this on the frame rate list? I don't want to like, you know, be cool or anything, but it's, it's a movie that I, I knew would speak to you, not even just autobiographically or anything, but because it's such a beautifully made film. And because, you know, you talk about characters so much being so important to you and about, you know, the storytelling not getting in the way of the character and the character having to be at the forefront. And to me, Moonlight, specifically the character of Chiron, is like, it's just, it, it just feels like a universe exists within this one person. You know, it feels like, it doesn't even feel like he's being written. It feels like we're just sort of experiencing life alongside of him and splitting it up into these three disparate periods, which are each so self-contained and so powerful and so like unmanipulated, I find just, just amazing. And so, so, so yeah, personally, I'm I'm really glad that you were able to watch the movie, and I'm I'm glad that you were able to take something from it. And I'm and I'm yeah, I, totally. I really I recommend anybody who is looking for how to tell a story with visuals, like how to avoid getting into the trap where you feel like you have to explain everything and you have to just sort of like you know give all this exposition and you have to like set everything up. Like watch Moonlight, and it's it is a it's an amazing study in how to tell maximal story with minimal dialogue. Um, and I think that. So the play is structured where it's intercut between these three time periods frequently and it kind of jumps around. So it's sort of unclear until partway through exactly who is whom and if these are the same people. And structuring it the way that, that Jenkins and the playwright, um, stru- I don't have his name in front of me, hang on, uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney, uh, who I, who's actually at Yale now, which is close to me, so maybe I can get us an interview with him or something at some point, it'd be really cool. Um, he, uh, they, 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 in this one, they did it linearly and they separated it by a little bit of time. So I think what's really interesting you see is you see this evolution of this person coming of age, not just in the ways that we think of a coming of age story, but coming of age in terms of like struggling with the legacy of the world pressing down on him as much as it has or as long as it has, you know? Um, and I just feel like uh, it's just, it's, it's like I, I could watch this movie over and over and over again because every time I watch it, I'm forced to relive it, you know? It doesn't feel like I'm rewatching it. It feels like I'm reliving it. It feels like I'm going into this character's shoes and I'm experiencing life as he's. Yeah, it's not for me. It's not like I. I don't know if I can watch it again. It's not easy to watch, and I think part of it is is because 
the African-American community, their, their stance on homosexuality, I wouldn't so much say that it's this, they're anti-gay. They're just like, we go through so much but it's already. it's conservative when oh, it comes to that. It is, and that's hardlined for sure, they're, because it's a very religious community, and they're like, no, we don't, we don't accept this. But part of that comes from this place of the struggle in the African, African-American community is so real and so colossal that they're like, we don't need anything else. We don't need anything else to make it more difficult for us. So they don't want to engage anything that's, um, that makes this, that journey, especially for the poor, more difficult for them already. And it's, you know, a lot of it um, you see today in terms of like, I mean, it's a different flavor, but like trans black women, um, you don't even hear, slowly now you're hearing, you know, the protesters and everything talk about them, but you generally, you would never even hear the black community even engage them. They wouldn't even exist in their mind. And it's much the same way that gay people, gay black people, would be treated in the African-American community too. Even my father's parents, not a word, not a sound, nothing. They won't even, not even, they won't even, they won't even, they won't even recognize that for me. Not ever. That's such an intense combination of things because it's not like you get a two for one and because you're already being discriminated again, you're like, oh, it's fine. It's already happening. It's like, no, you get to, I mean, I know that Jamie, you personally get away with like, um, what do you call it? Like fitting, what's that word? Passing. In. Passing. Yeah. Like you're kind of like ambiguous racially. It could be Southern Italian, could be Greek, like you're light skinned, whatever. But I'm saying <laughs> it could be Dave Bautista. It could be Filipino. Um, it could be half Filipino. Um, I didn't even think about it until we had this conversation, but the average black gay person in America has to kind of, has to deal with two separate types of discrimination and prejudice one which they can't hide and one which they can sort of most of the time choose who they show that or not but that's like that's a lot of weight to carry all the freaking time you know obviously yeah it's just crazy and i think you see that weight on the shoulders of of chiron throughout the film and you you see i mean just his physicality i i love the actor who plays him in the middle period and in the in the chiron Chapter. Ashton like Sanders. Ashton Sanders. Yeah. Like what an, what an amazing performance. And I brought him up actually when, when 2049 came up um, when we were talking about Kay making himself smaller, the whole thing Michael was saying about being a woman, like his body language where he just feels like it feels almost like the pressure outside of him is greater than the pressure inside of him. And he's being crumpled, you know, just sort of trying to like do as best he can to kind of go through the day without anybody picking on him without anybody, you know, getting in his way or saying something or saying he doesn't fit in or making fun of his pants not looking right or making fun of him not having the right clothes or making fun of his mom, you know, being a drug addict. And and I, I just, and all of the chapters have such a unique flavor to them and to his character. And one of the ways they achieve this, of course, is with the cinematography, right? Using different ways of emulate. So they emulated different film stocks for each of the chapters to give each chapter a different look, a different contrast ratio, mm. a different color grade. Um, and it really feels like three sort of vignette self-contained films assembled into one thing that forms a composite whole. There's so much going on with the cinematography here uh, that like, I, th- I think is just extraordinary. I, I think that um, it's, it's such a beautiful movie, but it does a lot of things that we kind of disassociate from when we, when we, when we think about like, like Roger Deakins, who we always talk about as being like this incredible master cinematographer. 
it does a lot of things that he doesn't do. Like it's sort of messy, you know, a, a lot of it is very handheld and very kind of jittery. A lot of it is shot kind of on the move. It's sort of askew, you know, like the whole, the beginning when Juan is talking to that drug dealer in the street and, you know, he pulls up in his, in his, in his Buick, and then he gets out and crosses and it just sort of walks around and does this sort of Tarantino thing over and over again. You know, when, Tar when Tarantino does that, you know, it's on a dolly, it's on a circular dolly. When, um, when Barry Jenkins does it, like the camera's just, it's like almost like a camcorder, it's just walking around, but it looks incredible because you know they it's so professionally made that you have this wonderful contrast of this like really luminous colorful image with this sort of like shaky handheld sort of voyeuristic thing and it's it's amazing there's also I, I don't i don't know what exactly is going on but it seems like there's like smudging sometimes almost like there's like some sort of vaseline on the lens to almost to kind of emulate a tilt shift effect so if you look in some of the scenes when when chiron is like surrounded by other schoolmates, for example like i think i remember this during when they're playing that that you know, sort of soccer game um, or rugby or whatever, I don't, when they're kicking the ball around and tackling each other. Um, and you see like a lot of the other boys had this sort of blurry, blurry effect to them. And Chiron is really, really clearly highlighted. It's just, it's clear that a lot of thought went into very specific visual overtones that were happening. Um, and it really, it really pays off because it feels like um, almost like a series of moving paintings. And, and I think a huge part of that is the score too, like Jamie was mentioning, Nicholas Bertel, um, it feels almost like it's like you're like like Jamie you said this too. It feels almost like it's in the wrong movie. Like it was sort of like it was written for something else, and and they tried it and it worked. Um, although it was composed for this film, and it's almost all of his original music that he composed for it. But it's not at all what you would expect in this kind of a setting. And again, it's like playing with your expectation, and it's playing with this. It's pulling you out of what you think you're seeing, and into this actual experience. It's saying this is not a bunch of stereotypes. This is not a bunch of like gangster scenes from movies you've seen before. This is not, this is not just a story about black people, right? Like this is a story about this this person. Like this is his this is his lived experience. Um, like see him for who he is, not for who you think he is when you start the movie. And same thing with Juan. Again, like like you know like Mahershala Ali, of course, was only he's only in like twenty seven minutes of it or something, right? Um, and even in that, he's not even on the screen particularly. That I mean, he's in the movie for maybe a total of twelve minutes or something like that. Um, but in those 12 minutes, he is constantly, constantly subverting our expectations of him, you know, because he rolls up and he's this like, you know, this macho drug dealer who actually is like the only person who acts. And he doesn't, even, it's not even like he just listens to Chiron, like he seeks him, you know, he sees something wrong and he goes and he finds him in that crack den and he takes him out and he protects him and he, and he gives him like the, the sequence by the ocean. I mean, what an amazing bit of filmmaking is that? You know, when he's showing him how to swim and he's paying attention to him and he's talking about how destiny is something that he can find himself. It doesn't, he doesn't have to do what everybody else does. He doesn't, you know, like you know, he's saying, I grew up in Cuba, you know, and I was a black boy in Cuba. There's black people all over the world, you know, like, and he's telling him like, you're part of more than you think you're part of. Like, you're not just this kid with a drug addict mom and no dad. Like you, you are, you are you, you are the only you in the world. And you're part of this amazing culture and this amazing, you know, spread out influences and things like that. And like, you got to find yourself. And I just love how uh, that character is just always surprising. And then, of course, one of the most powerful moments. To me, there's each, each of the acts has its own moment that is just like completely unforgettably powerful to me. And the, in, in the first act, it's when he, you know, when Chiron confronts him and he asks if he's a drug dealer or if his mother takes, uses drugs, right? And you see, and Mahershala Ali just absolutely loses it. I mean, the acting in that, in that 30 seconds is just, it's just unbelievably 
powerful because just like Chiron in the next chapter, the world is is pressing in on Juan in that moment. Like he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to admit it, but he's going to because he owes it to Chiron, whom he's been tremendously honest with this entire time, and he needs to do that, even though he knows that in doing that he is ruining this relationship, and he's showing he's showing Chiron that like that he's not the mentor that he thought he was, and that he's not this perfect, you know, father figure that that he wishes he could be, that he actually is part of this, you know, cycle of of being withheld and being held down, um, and I just that acting is just in. in absolutely incredible in that moment and uh and and it's and that's i'm sure why he won the academy award yeah it's his performance his character i thought was you know you of course i hadn't seen the film so i didn't know how he was going to respond but based on some of the trailers that i had seen for moonlight i had a feeling that he was going to be more of an empathetic character to to little and of course he was um and i what i thought was beautiful is that you don't how do we say this? Um, it's not an image that you see portrayed in the black community, the low income black community very often. A lot of what you see is very hardened um, drug dealers who, and even, uh, what was his name, Juan? Yeah, Juan. Uh, Marcella, Marcella, okay. Even his character, as empathetic as he was, uh, much like you said, he was still a part of the cycle of he was he dealt drugs too. This is the life that he was a part of, and also the reality is that pays more for them than you know a nine to five job where they're probably making nine dollars an hour, ten dollars an hour maybe, and that's not enough to live off of. So a life selling drugs is way more. Of course, of course you would. Um, you're going to get paid more money. You can live a better life that way. Um, and if those are the options staring you in the face, and if the obstacles are your this, your skin color, you're going to choose to sell drugs, probably most of the time. And then, of course, later on, Little is then also a drug dealer, and living large, and has money, and has a car, and has all of the trappings of that lifestyle. But of course, inside of him is a sea, you know, inside of him is a storm um, that he has learned to keep very very well and very very quiet and he can pass he can't pass for anything else but black but he can certainly pass for straight um and i i thought that was really um powerful that they portrayed it that way because oftentimes and i actually didn't realize that barry jenkins wasn't gay i thought he was i thought for sure he was a gay man of course he isn't he's married he has children um but i thought it was a powerful portrayal of Typically, when straight people write gay people, they write them very effeminately. Um, they write the stereotype a little bit, or there's a little bit of a wisp or a lisp or, or a sachet or something, you know. But he did not, as little, you know, when little was an adult and even a, a teenager, he was just like you, everybody else. He was just this just normal person. Not to say that if you're effeminate, you're 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 not normal. I'm just saying you're just Neutral. sort of a, a this the norm, the norm. Yeah, the classically masculine norm that's not typically how people especially black men are portrayed and i thought it was really powerful that they made that choice um that he had to mitigate those feelings within him and he had to surround those feelings with with the trappings of the lifestyle of being a drug dealer and i would i would have even believed if when we met him as an adult he would have had a girlfriend um because that's what you do it would have made sense to me, but of course he didn't. Um, but again, I just, it was brilliant writing 
so the writing was so empathetic despite the life not being so whatsoever and trevante rhodes oh my god what a fucking actor that like yeah. for it because he he had such a hard job because he had to portray like jamie was was saying beautifully like you know multiple things at the same time like he, he had to portray this really convincing image the bulletproof image but also portray within that image behind the eyes of that image a completely alternate universe right and in and he does and then in the diner of course like when those two things collide i mean that's, it's that's also subtle like, the movie right there that's just one of the most you know downing and it's yeah, subtle it's and it's not overwrought and again that's what contributes to this feeling of almost like you're not watching a, a film it's almost like this this life is just illuminating in front of you for a little bit and you're watching this life unfold i mean and i i really i really the direction of this movie and the attention to character and nuance is is really like on par with some of the the best films i've seen and and i think that it's it's uh it was it was one of the first films from A24 that because I, cause I, I'm like, I'm sure you guys too. Like I've, I've been a fan of A24 for a long time since they were first distributing things like, you know, eight or nine years ago. Um, and, and actually Enemy is the is the movie in particular that I was like, okay, this is this is like a production company. that so, I Somebody to. was uh, was saying the hack of going on Netflix and just searching A24 because they're like, you're guaranteed to watch a good movie. Whatever <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's always an interesting film. But Moonlight, like they, they they destroyed the Oscars with this movie that year. And it was such a big deal that this tiny film that was very sort of unorthodox for an Oscar movie could get all of the attention was was uh i mean just just an enormous achievement and i think uh oh also andre holland i i I gotta give him a shout out too because another actor who is just incredible if if there are any stephen king fans watching he's in uh, castle rock season one he's amazing in that um but he the character of kevin is also one of these characters who like the whole time is just subverting your expectations you know like when you meet him for well when, when you meet him like for real in the second act uh, and he's like, you know, this kind of like, like blustering, you know, like he's like so full of, so full of himself talking about like banging this girl and all these different things, you know? Um, and, and, and then on the beach, he reveals himself to not be that person like at all. And that, and that is another moment like that. I was talking to Micah about this because it, I've, not, I've not seen the movie a few times and every time I'm just like sort of uncontrollably crying on the beach sequence for some reason, there's something about that moment that feels like, I, I, I don't know if it, it feels like, uh, indelible that's all the only way i can say it like they're just sitting there in the moonlight by the water having this incredibly deep moment of actual connection and that's something that like that chiron or little or black is so i guess i'll call him black in that moment because that's what he was just talking about right they were talking about the nickname that kevin had for him like i mean that character has no moments of actual real connection even when he's being cared for by Teresa and by juan like there's still the sense of like, he's not really open. Like he's, he's, he's there and he's like, and he's, he's like humble and he's like grateful. He's on lockdown, but he's not, he's still on lockdown. And in that like one instant on the beach, he's not. And it's like, Oh my God. And, 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 and I really think that like anybody can relate to that in some, in some way, even though we have different life experiences, there's something about that being true to yourself and feeling like you can actually be honest for this one moment in time in front of somebody else. That is just an extraordinarily powerful feeling to have. And for well, him, yeah. But I just, I just feel like the way that that moment is 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 framed and shot, and that it's still the sort of like awkward teenage interaction. Like e- even though it's a very romantic and beautiful moment, it's like kind of messy and awkward and quick and like you know what I mean. It's it's not it's and there's no swelling violins and shit. You know, it's 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 like what actual like teenage sexual encounters look like. But for him, that's it's 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 so much more than that, and it's just it's so understated and it's so beautiful. 
and I just and every time I watch it, I'm just I just tears are just streaming down my face every fucking time I see that part in the movie, and I think it's just so, so powerful. Jamie, what were you gonna say? No, I what I really find uh, extraordinary about the character of Kevin, what is happening on the beach is on the beach isn't this moment of love. It's a moment of connection, which is I think is a very specific. He's being touched probably in a tender way by someone who, and he's probably never experienced that before, but it was Kevin's comments later when he's getting out of the car and he's like, have you never experienced anything like that before? He was very, and there was the lack of shame. Kevin didn't have shame for what he did. I was expecting as a viewer for, because sometimes when you're a kid and you do those things with other boys or girls do it with other girls, all of a sudden there's this click and then they, they want to belittle you and they want to pretend like it just didn't happen. Because um, they don't they weren't really sure what, what happened either and it felt good in the moment. But there's this click um, after like post-orgasm or post-coitus where you your brain is coming off of that high. And you're like, oh, what just happened here? And oftentimes with children or, or young people, they get angry or they realize they didn't want to do that or they just it just becomes something different. Kevin wasn't that way. Kevin continued his his empathy towards little. Um, and I really think that's what obviously impressed upon little was he's like, man, he, you touched me and you don't feel shame about it. And you recognize that and you enjoyed it. And it's it stuck with him. I mean, I have memories. I have memories like that as well. Um, people who were very tender or very, especially as, as a gay person and you're already, especially when you're certainly in the black community, but certainly in the religious community where you feel like what you're doing isn't, it's not just maybe wrong, it's immoral. You feel like you're, you're being raised to, to believe that any type of sexual expression is immoral. And so there's so much shame attached to it as well. And I think it's really important, you know, and when people, facilitate the lack that lack of shame and they approach it with there is no shame in here I, I i enjoyed what we did i thought it was great um but look at how crossed and complex it gets because then afterwards kevin betrays his trust true. and destroys that relationship and that's what takes us from act two to act three act one is him questioning his sexuality act two is acting on it Act three is going into hiding and pretending like he's straight, basically. And I didn't think about it till we brought it up now. But that singular event of Kevin knocking him out and or really not standing up for him, right? It's not even it's probably not even the violence that hurts the most. It's the betrayal. It's the emotional betrayal of like, oh, so you're gonna like be intimate with me and love me or or be close to me when we're in private, but in front of all these people, you're willing to betray me to like save your own skin. It's a, it's a very intense betrayal, you know, it is something, that, it is something that would hurt anybody. You know? Yeah. But I also think that there are so many, there's so many politics happening in that school. Um, the, these kids are all low income. They're probably barely have anything to eat. They're just surviving and survival in high school is tough. I mean, I went to a very private you know, commune high school, and it was still tough for me. Um, I can't imagine being a low-income, dark-skinned black boy um, full of other kids um, that look like me, and there's a hierarchy, as you guys know. Everybody went to high school. Um, 
there's a hierarchy and you're, you're trying to survive and kids can be cruel. And so in that moment where when Kevin beats him, I understood why he did it. And I'm not saying yeah. it was okay. Kevin was trying to survive too. And he knew that life would be easier for him if he were to do what these bullies said. Well, and that's, that's what I meant by betrayal. He chose to protect himself as opposed to protecting Chiron. But that there was so much in that choice more than even that moment because like and it, I mean they're, they're, like that that Terrell kid was like legitimately a terrorist like he was bullying the crap out of everybody and pitting people against I mean like if Kevin had not acted on that he would have been in acute physical danger like like you know like that would have been a, a very big deal and you can see it in his face too that that actor uh, who's playing Kevin in that sequence in the middle. Like he he is not happy about it, and he's trying very very hard to to tell Chiron please stay down. Like he's 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 right. Chiron to stay down, right? Right. And also, I don't want to. I don't want my statement to be as concerned. I'm not judging the character for doing yeah. what he did. I'm saying the film is very realistic for showing what Kevin did because I right. Think, I think the person who does stand up for that person is a more rare event. More likely, you're going to do exactly what Kevin did. And the reality is, it was a betrayal. Even if it was him, Kevin surviving, it was a betrayal. And yeah. Kevin was the only friend he had, really. The only friend who engaged him, his humanity, and he lost it. And well, yeah, he, he opened this door, where, like you said, where there's no shame, right? And they have a mm -hmm. conversation where there's no shame. And then, I mean, he slammed that door shut in his face, you know? And so, of course, uh, Black, as, he, as his nickname goes when he grows up, is going to retreat back into his shell. He's going to hide that part of him. And he's hidden it so much that this character who must be in his early 20s admits to older Kevin later, you're the last man who ever touched me. Like he did not have any more sexual experiences, gay or straight. Yeah. yeah. I think he said man, but nonetheless, yeah. like whatever, you know, his, his true expression of his sexuality, definitely he has not been able to uh, connect with that since that moment on the beach with Kevin, which is crazy. It's like, you know, eight years later, 10 years later, whatever, however the math works out. What's interesting um, about right Moonlight is Kevin is dealing, or I'm sorry, Little is dealing, Little slash Black is dealing with, you know, his sexuality. But every character is also dealing with, his mother's dealing with her drug addiction and she's trying to keep that quiet too. Um, Juan is dealing with his, um, he's a drug dealer. No one wants to talk about it. It's this kind of quiet, this quiet agreement that everyone has and they everyone's mitigating these these secrets that that they're keeping and they're not they're, they don't really want to talk about it they don't you know they'll, they'll, they'll go about their days but kevin is doing what everyone else is doing it's different in some ways because it, it you know it, it goes to the core of who he i'm sorry not kevin little is doing what he has to do um, to understand who he is, but he, in the framework of a society where everyone is trying to survive and no one wants to talk about how they're surviving because it's there's shame involved in it. There's shame involved. We know when Juan pulls Little's mother out of that car, he's shaming her. And then she eventually, she's like, well, what do you have to say? You know, he's in that lifestyle too. There's shame everywhere. That I, I, I think, but what's also really fascinating about Moonlight is how much shame there is in being poor, how much poor people are shamed for being poor. And then the decisions that they make to live a little bit of a better life in terms of drug dealing. Should they be doing that? No, but what else? You know, it's like, I don't, 
I don't blame people for drug dealing. Like if that's going to make you a better life, I, I say go for it. I mean, I, it's, it's the same thing where you can go to maybe India or another country and you see women who are selling their bodies to feed their children. What else would you would you have them do as you go back to your lifestyle in America or, or wherever you're going to go? Um, and the, that's really, I think that was the difficulty for me in part watching that movie is there's just this heavy shame everywhere. Everyone feels bad. Everyone feels like there's this weight and they're trying to survive and they don't want to talk about it. And they're trying to do that their best that they can. Um, and it's, it's tough to watch. It's tough to watch unfold. I mean, I, yeah, I have a, I have a question for you guys. I'll, I'll break it up and go to Patrick and then back to Jamie. Um, so Patrick, when you're done watching this film and you have your conversation, have time to sit with it a little bit, what does it leave you with? Like, do you overall, do you find the message uplifting? Do you find it oppressive? Do you just find it very naturalistic? Like how do you feel when you're done with the movie? I, I, I just feel like uh, I was given a real gift, like into having a, having a completely unmanipulated view of, of a lived experience that is not my own that can teach me a lot about things that um, I, that it's hard for like, you know, a white guy to learn about or a white straight guy or somebody who doesn't really, you know, and, and a lot of the things that are sort of presented as that as like gateways into, you know, different experiences, they're kind of presented as such. Moonlight is just a window that is open for a moment and you, and you're able to like live in that tableau and then it closes again, but it's never actually closed once you open that, you know what I mean? And so for, for me, like, it's, it's not about being uplifting. It's not about, I, I mean, I, the predominant feeling of it is heartbreak for me. Like when, when I, it's, I, I mean, I, even though I, my experience is very different, like I find it personally very heartbreaking to watch that movie. But, um, totally. but I, I feel like my heart breaks for the right reasons when I watch it. It breaks for reasons of actual empathy and actual understanding and actual appreciation, you know? And, and it breaks because I realize all of these, all of these sort of expectations that I have when I watch a movie made by and starring black people, um, they're like, they're there because like, I keep seeing the wrong things over and over again. I keep, I keep seeing these things that are kind of sold to me. And Moonlight is just a piece of art that stands on its own and allows me to see something that is very honest. Um, and I, I just, I, it's just, a, it's, I think it's an extraordinary film. What about you, Jamie? Um, I would say generally, I was actually surprised with the ending. I was expecting a tragedy. Um, oftentimes, uh, stories about gay people made by non-gay people end in tragedy. Um, and I think because most straight people or a lot of straight people don't see that lifestyle as anything but tragic, um, especially in the African-American community. So to see it end on that lyrical note was beautiful, um, where there was hope, where there was connection again, where there was forgiveness, where there was understanding. Um, it made it, and I, I would say um, the character of one also made it um, not redemptive, but it just was able to shine a light that was full of love as opposed to shine a light that was full of um, commentary or or criticism or judgment. It was easy to judge. It's easy to, to, to as a, a filmmaker or a writer or whatever. And it's not to say that maybe he was someone's intent might be to judge, but it's easy to say, Oh man, yeah, that was probably tough. And let's write it as it was really, that was a really tough life. And yeah, you know, but they didn't, he said, yes, it was tough, but there was also moments of love. And I, 
I really I think it's a triumph. And I left the film feeling like, wow, that was that's a story uh, that the African American community needs. It's a story of hope. Yeah, I agree. That's that's generally a, the feeling I, I'm left with after the film is, um, I'm hopeful. Yeah, because I feel like that is a pretty mainstream um, platform that that film is on. Right, it's on Netflix. Uh, you know, uh, it's on Prime. It's on everything. And so more and more people are being exposed to, I mean, for black people, they're getting exposed to their own cultural group making art, which is I'm sure a great feeling in itself. And for everybody else, you're getting exposed to this intimate portrayal, which we all want and need. And like for every race and creed and people that immigrate to this country and other people that you see passing on the street, especially in, the year that we're having now where empathy is kind of front and center, right? Because it's either that or there's terrible things going on. Um, and it, this film makes it easy to empathize with basically every character in the movie. I would say, I would say the bully is the only one where they don't go to his home and into his background a little bit to show you um, not to make him a victim at all, but just to show you a little complexity and show you maybe where some of that's coming from show like an abusive father at home or something like that. And I'm not criticizing the film. I'm just saying he's probably the only one that is a little more narrow scoped. Whereas the other characters, you get to kind of see what's floating behind the scenes and see a little bit about their motivation. And that comes out so well in the performances that you can't help, but kind of, relate and empathize with just about everybody. You know, I think I can, I think I do feel that way for every single character. Um, Even the mother, you felt empathy for her. Totally. Yeah. Naomi Harris, you know? what a great actress too. Yeah. yeah. And she's yeah. British too. I didn't know that. She's like playing yeah, she's Money Penny in the, in the so James Bond good. films. Yeah, she's really good. Um, when she, I mean, her character, Paula alone is, is, is also just such a masterwork. And she was only on set doing this for like three days or something. It was like such a short shoot for her. And she brings just so much to this role. Like she, she, she brings this full humanity to a role that in so many lesser movies is just the scapegoat. Like it's just like, oh, look, look what he had to overcome. But like, it's not just about what he had to overcome. It's like, this is his story. This is, this is, this is his mother, you know? And at first, like we, we feel like we, we feel like we should hate her, right? Because she's like so absent and she's making such bad decisions and she's so mean to him. But she's real, you know? She's not just this thing that is objectified and hated. She's a real character who's really, really struggling. And, 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 and it, there's just a lot of complexity there. And those sequences, there's that one sequence where she's yelling at him in the hallway that like, I, I find the way that that moment is shot is another one of these like, holy shit, almost Kubrickian, the way she's framed with the contrasting light. Oh, and the sound her. goes out and he's like and pulling yes, back into himself. Oh, the sound design is so good. And then, of course, it plays in reverse too. I mean, that sequence just stays with you forever because it's frightening. Because you're, you feel like you're a little child being yelled at by this incomprehensible, angry person that your mother has become. But you also, because her eyes are telling a different story. Her eyes are in so much pain while she's doing it. You know, it's almost like she's yelling at herself. And I, I just the casting is so freaking great in this film. Everybody brings so much more depth to their role. Then I feel like, I mean, of course the roles are written like that. Like this is a master playwright and, you know, an incredible director, like they're, they know what they're doing, but they're still bringing just so much more to it than like so many lesser actors would. And I, it's just, it's just amazing. I agree. I think we can wrap there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank um, you guys. 
let's give a shout out to our patrons. Thanks again to everyone who contributes to the show. For those of you who have upped your pledges, for those of you who have not left, for those of you who have downgraded your pledges because you needed to in the time of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Have come back. And have come back. Um, we really, really want to thank you. We appreciate it. Um, and um, yeah, you know, our uh, Patreon program is growing strong. We're above 50 patrons now and it started at, you know, just a handful. So um, we're really happy with how that's going. We've been really enjoying bringing you this extra content. We're going to kind of uh, wind back a little bit from the free uh, episodes so, because, you know, we know you guys are paying and we appreciate you guys being generous. So we're going to do one free and one paywall uh, frame rates per month now. And then eventually we'll go back to keeping them all behind the paywall other than the ones we already released. But um, yeah, thank you very much for your support. We hope to continue to bring you content for a long time to come and please tell people about the show. Thanks guys. Thank you guys.